chapter 4, if you'd please look there tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, out with the old and in with the new. That's the theme of this section of Ephesians that we're studying in chapter 4. And um, especially when we come down to these uh, verses of 20, verses 25 through, through 29, Paul is giving us here some specific examples of things that were a part of our old life that we need to be rid of, and they shouldn't be a part of our new life in Christ. One of the problems that we have with modern-day preaching is that most of the time, preachers just don't get too specific about sin. Now, if they mention sin at all, they may mention it in a general way. And um, they never really drive home the point of specific sins that people are involved in. And so you can go to church, and, and people go to church for years and sit there, and they never get too uncomfortable with their lifestyle of sin. And that's because the preacher never really gets down to talking about what people do. Well, I don't think any of us could say that the Apostle Paul does not get very specific about sin. That's what he's doing here in these verses 25 through 29. He's talking about specific sins and some things, as I said, that we need to deal with thoroughly. We need to get these out of our, of our lifestyles, and we need to live in the new man in Christ. Last week, we, we talked about the common sin of lying, and we found out that... Uh, Lying is more common than we think, that really the whole world system is built upon lies, when you think about it. And uh, if people just started telling the truth all of the time, most of us wouldn't be too comfortable with that. But that's the way the world lives. And if we're going to live like Christ, then we have to get rid of the lying that's in our life. Now, one of the things that the Bible tells us about Jesus, it doesn't say that Jesus tells the truth. And it doesn't say Jesus knows the truth. It says Jesus is the truth. And so if you're going to be like him, then you have to be a truthful person. Well, tonight we're going to look at another prevalent sin. And this is one that we all need to deal with. And this is the sin of anger. And the Bible gives us a, an approach that we're to have to anger. Uh, this is kind of a compliment to last Sunday morning's sermon when we were talking about Peter. And Peter was one who got angry and acted in the wrong way. And I told you in that sermon that you tell a person's character by their reactions. I mean, what they really are on the inside comes out in their reactions, maybe not so much in their actions. And Peter reacted wrongly and reacted in anger. So the Bible has the right approach to anger. We're going to talk about that tonight. Let's stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Let's read uh, beginning in verse number 25, and these are the specific sins that Paul mentions. We're going to read down through verse number 30. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your, uh, upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, to be for the presence of everyone here tonight. We thank you, Lord, to be in your house and where we can talk about your word. And Lord, we just pray that you might help us to learn some things tonight. Help us how, uh, to understand how we can deal with the sin of anger and how we can be anger, uh, angered in the right ways and how we shouldn't be angered in the wrong ways. So bless in this message tonight. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll notice, again, verse number 30 there, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. When I get through with this little mini-series that we're doing here on these four specific sins, we're going to talk about the sin of grieving the Holy Spirit. And any time that we sin, we need to understand that that's exactly what sin does. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. But Paul says in verses 26 and 27, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now, those are the text verses for the message tonight. I want to speak to you on the subject. It's a mad, mad world. And tonight, I don't intend to give you an anger management class, although some of you may need that, but we're not going to go that in depth. But I do want us to look at the Bible's view of anger, and we're going to talk about when anger is right and when anger is wrong. Now, it's an angry world, and mostly people are angered for, uh, over the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. But the Bible does teach us that there is a form of anger that's right. There, there are some things that we need to be angry about, but even many times in the things that we should be angry at, we express that anger in the wrong way. So this evening, we're going to look at anger from two different sides. We're going to look at the wrong way and the right way. First of all, we're going to talk about useful anger. Now, did you know that there is a command in the Bible to be angry? And maybe you didn't notice it, but we just read it just a moment ago. Right there, the Bible says, Paul says in verse 26, Be ye angry. And that would be a a, a dangerous command if Paul didn't follow that up with a caveat. And unfortunately, there are many people who see those first three words, Be ye angry, and they take the command, and they're angry most of the time. And as I said, angry for the wrong reasons. But Paul gives the caveat that we need to watch our anger, that our, ang- uh, that our anger doesn't become sinful. Several years ago, uh, there was a new word that was coined to describe people who can't control their anger. And the word is rageaholic. And that's when a person simply cannot control their anger. And uh, there are many people today that husbands that are living with wives or wives with husbands and people that you work with sometimes that you have to walk around eggshell on eggshells all the time because you know if you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing, that person is going to get very angry. And that is a sinful anger. And sometimes uh, that kind of anger leads to violence and injury of another person. Well, that's certainly the wrong kind of anger. And the Bible says, be ye angry. It wouldn't be talking about that kind of anger. The caveat here is, don't sin in your anger. Now, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But when Paul says, be angry, what are some things that we can be angry about and things that are godly anger and be the right, uh, godly anger and be the right kind of anger? How can we be angry and not sin? Well, first of all, let's say this, that we need to be angry with false doctrine. Now, anger itself is not sinful. I mean, just anger by itself is not sinful. And uh, every person has within them this innate ability to get angry. I mean, that's a characteristic that we all have. And the capacity to get angry against sin and against what God defines as wrong is a good characteristic. And in fact, I believe that that's a righteous characteristic for us to have, to be angry at those kinds of things. I actually believe that that we fail God and we sin when we aren't angry about when someone is teaching something that's false and all this uh, pervasive false uh, teaching that goes on in the religious world today. 
Now, some think that the thing to do religiously is to suppress our anger. And we take that Rodney King attitude towards our religion. Can't we all just get along? Well, the answer to the question is when it comes to false doctrine, no. We can't just all get along. I don't think the Bible wants us to get along with people who are preaching the wrong thing. Now, unfortunately... Uh, the Bible is not, or unfortunately, what's happened in the past, the Bible is not talking about getting angry to the point that people kill other people over religion. And that happens in the world today. In fact, that's a part of, uh, of the world's history, that people have become so angry about religion that they do kill other people if they don't, if they don't agree with them. Now, back in the, in the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church instituted what was known as the Inquisition, And what they did was they rounded up all the people that they called heretics, everybody that didn't agree with the Roman Catholic Church or didn't didn't, uh, knuckle down underneath the state church, and the Roman Catholic Church began to put those people to death. And there are millions of our Baptist forefathers who were put to death at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. And they killed Baptist people because we would not give up our belief in salvation by grace through faith alone. And one of the doctrines that millions of Baptists were killed over was the doctrine of baptism, our stand on baptism. We said that we would not uh, uh, accept infant baptism. We said that we would uh, baptize, only baptize people who came with a credible profession of faith. And because of that, we were persecuted. We also said that we would rebaptize anyone who came to us uh, from different faiths who didn't have the proper kind of baptism. And so over that belief, there, there, have been, there were millions of Baptist people that were put to death. And you can read about that in the little book that we have out on the table called The Trail of Blood that was written by J.M. Carroll. Now, I don't think that as Baptist people today, we ought to give up on those principles. The things that were right then are, are, are right now. And that's why that this church, Berean Baptist, we, we insist that when a person comes to us from another belief or another faith and they, and they haven't had proper baptism administered by a New Testament Baptist church, then we think that they ought to be baptized under the proper authority. Now, we were killed for taking that kind of stand. Now, we're not today, thank the Lord for that, but we ought not to give it up. Uh, that's still one of the things we believe. Now, later, it wasn't only Roman Catholics that killed people for for their disagreements. The Protestants began to do that as well. As godly and and as right as the Puritans were on, on many of their doctrinal stands and things that they believed... They also became persecutors of, uh, of other people because they didn't, didn't uh, uh, capitulate to, the, to their ways of thinking. And so what actually happened is that when, when the uh, Presbyterians came to this country and the first Presbyterian churches here that were using the, the Westminster Confession of Faith that was used in England and other places, uh, they had to, the, or the, excuse me, the Presbyterian people here had to change the Westminster Confession of Faith because it allowed for civil magistrates to enforce their religion. And so we couldn't have that in this country, so they had to change that particular part. It also might interest you to know that that, uh, Baptists were the forerunners of religious freedom in this country. Thomas Jefferson learned about uh, uh, religious freedom and, and, and his ideas of democracy by attending a small Baptist church in Virginia. Patrick Henry uh, 
brought up religious freedom in the Virginia legislature at the request of Baptist churches. So our Baptist forefathers have always believed this. I mean, we're not going to lash out against people who disagree with us. We're not going to kill anybody who disagrees with our doctrine. But that's been done many times. So the Bible is certainly not talking about that. Don't get so angry at false doctrine and what other people believe that you want to hurt people over it. Now, I don't think that's anybody's problem today. But I do know this to be true, that some people get mad whenever I mention Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. And when I talk about the Roman Catholics and the Seventh-day Adventists, people get angry about that. But I think that's exactly what a pastor's called to do. We have to expose false doctrine. And if I don't do that, I'm just like the people, the prophets in Isaiah's time. Isaiah wrote, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. So it's my duty to sound the warning against false doctrine. We're not to keep our mouths shut. We're not to fall asleep. And if I were to do that, I'd, I'd be no more than, no better than, a, than a, a dog, a watchdog that sleeps all the time while somebody's trying to break into your house. That, that's just simply wrong. Now, Brother Dalton uh, brought something to my attention the other day. Uh, he was researching and writing a paper on why we're losing our youth. And if you want to read that, you can read it on our website. It's a good paper if you take time to read that. But one of the things that he called my attention to was a line that's written in the Midland Confession of Faith of 1655. Now, that is an old, historic Baptist Confession of Faith, a very old one, of course, 1655. But it tells us something about what our Baptist forefathers believed. But I want you to listen to this line. It says, Therefore, consent not with those who hold that God hath given power to all men to believe to salvation. Now, I want you to understand what they're actually saying there. They're saying is, when people start putting man in front of God when it comes to salvation, don't keep company with those kinds of people because that's false doctrine. Now, unfortunately, that would rule out a lot of our Baptist people today because uh, maybe they don't say it, but their belief would lead you to believe that they think that man is primary in salvation. Man has to respond first. But here these old historic Baptists said, don't even keep company with those kind of people who believe something like that. God is always primary. God's always first. And maybe I shouldn't even say that God is primary in salvation. I should say God is all there is in salvation. And, and, and he's the one that has to move on our hearts first. So here's what we need to do. We need to be angry about false doctrine. And our, and our Baptist forefathers were angry about false doctrine. Now, when I, when I say things like this, and instead of getting mad at the false doctrine, some people get mad at me. But all I'm doing is just preaching the word. And, and I'm upset today that, that Baptists have turned their backs on what, what our Baptist forefathers preached and believed. And there are even some who are saying that it's dangerous for us to follow what our Baptist forefathers believed. Well, you know, I would expect a, a Roman Catholic to be wrong in his doctrine. I expect the Mormon to be wrong in his doctrine. But I don't expect people who have Baptist over their door to be wrong. And uh, it's a shame that many Baptist people, as I said, have turned their backs on what we believe. Now, I think about that little book, The, the Trail of Blood by J.M. Carroll. And uh, I know what J.M. Carroll believed. J.M. Carroll... Uh, delivered lectures on the trail of blood at the same church where my dad learned the doctrines of grace. 
And I think that he would roll over in his grave if he knew what Baptist people, he knows he's in heaven, but metaphorically speaking, uh, he would roll over in his grave if he saw what Baptist people were doing today with the doctrines uh, that, that we historically believed. So I'm mad about that, and you ought to be mad about it too. Now, when we think about righteous anger, of, uh, of course, we, we have the example of Jesus who had righteous anger. I want you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 3, if you would, for just a moment. And in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was about to heal a man on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees were watching him, and they were just waiting to see him do something so they could accuse him. And uh, Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. Now, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1, it says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them, listen, with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. There it says that Jesus looked on these people with anger. Why was he angry? Well, it's because they'd perverted true religion. The, the Pharisees were, were teaching lies and hypocrisy. And so we have a right, just as Jesus had a right, to be anger over, angered over false doctrine. And then, of course, uh, we can't forget the example of when Jesus went into the temple. And, and we know that, that the, he saw those people there that were, were selling and buying and selling. Well, actually, they were selling uh, sacrificial animals. And they were making a profit off of those things, selling them right in the temple. Jesus got angry about that. And the Bible says he took a small cord, he made a whip, and he drove those people out of the temple. And that was righteous anger. So it's certainly right for us to be angry over evil and to be angry over false doctrine. And it's sinful if we don't become angry over those things. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So Paul says, be angry. And there are some things for us to be angry about. I'm angry about false doctrine. But then let's go on to something else here. There's another thing to be angry about, and that's to be angry with personal deceit. Now, I, I want you to look at one of the characteristics of the evil Gentiles. Remember what we talked about back up in verse number 19? You might just want to glance at that for just a moment. But, but there it says, who being past feeling. Paul's talking about the Gentiles. He said, are past feeling. And we were talking about that verse, and we compared that, and what he actually means is like a nerve that gets cauterized. Remember talking about that? I mean, when you, when you cauterize a nerve, it desensitizes it, it deadens it so that it no longer feels the pain. Well, that's the way many Christians become when they've sinned so much. They've gone so much into sin that they've become desensitized to it. They're not convicted by the sin anymore. I mean, wouldn't you think that, that a Christian who, who uh, uses bad language or a Christian who smokes, or one who drinks, that at some time they weren't convicted over that sin? You know, I think that they were. I mean, because I know that God convicts us of sin. So at some time they must have been convicted about it, but they keep doing it, and they do it over and over again, so that they come to the place that they, they can keep doing it and not feel any conviction about it. And so they can reach for that next cigarette, they can let out a curse word, and speak against, against uh, uh, without even thinking about it, use God's name in vain, and it doesn't affect them at all. 
And the reason is they become desensitized to sin. Now, folks, we need to get angry at ourselves whenever we sin. And that's because God's angry at sin. So we ought to be angry. Now, listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, I want you to notice that word indignation in verse number 11. Do you know what that is? That's disgust. It's anger about sin. And all of us should feel that when we sin against the holy God. Godly sorrow bringeth repentance. And when you get angry at sin and you get angry at your personal deceit, that's when you're well on the way of getting rid of the old man and letting Christ come to reign in your heart. But let's move on here. I mean, it is right for us to be angry in certain ways. Be angry. But now Paul adds the caveat, and sin not. So the next thing we want to look at is unrighteous anger. Now, maybe we don't have enough righteous anger, but we certainly do have enough unrighteous anger. I mean, that, that's a problem. We get angry at the, in the wrong way, and we get angry at the wrong things. Now, I want to point out a couple of things to you about, about the wrong kind of behavior as it, re, as it uh, re, uh, re, refers to anger. First of all, don't have a bad dip, disposition. A Christian ought not to have a bad disposition. And what I mean is you ought not to be the kind of person who's grumpy and and irritable all the time and you look like you've been dipped in pickle juice and forced to eat lemons all day long. That's not the way a Christian ought to act. You ought not to be a bad-tempered person. And you know, I've met some people that say, well, you know, I I just can't help that. I mean, I'm an ill-tempered person. I'm mean. And I've I've seen people admit I'm a mean person. And, And Christian people, I just can't help this. You know, I like the way one commentator put it. He said, so what? That's not an excuse. He said, maybe you were born that way. And people use the excuse, well, I was just born that way. That's my temperament. He says, but you've been born again. So you don't have to stay that way. You've been born again. Now, Jesus doesn't have any born-again babies with ill tempers. If you've got one, folks, it's your fault. Don't, don't blame your parents or blame your heritage or anything else. You're born again. So you choose to be that type of person. Now, that takes me back to, to what I mentioned a little bit earlier when, when we talked about a rageaholic, somebody who flies off the handle. Several years ago, there was a BC comic strip where there was this, uh, there was this fly that was buzzing around a picnic table. And the fly, that, you know, the family's off in the background. They're enjoying themselves. All their food's laying on the picnic table. And the fly lands on a knife that's sticking in a big chunk of bologna. And this fly lands on the knife. He crawls down the blade, and he sits there, and he just eats to his heart content all of that bologna. So he gets finished eating, and he crawls back up the knife blade onto the, onto the handle and flies off. That, flies off. And... Uh, you see him in the next frame, and he's buzzing around there. In just a few seconds, he's splat right on the ground. And the moral of the story is, don't fly off the handle when you're full of baloney. <laughs> well, that's when, when a Christian gets angry and flies off the handle. They're full of something, and it's not full of Jesus. They're full of the wrong thing. Now, that leads me to the second part here. Don't be easily disturbed. So if you have this kind of anger, you need some help for that. 
Well, where do you find help? You go to the Lord. You consume yourself in God's Word. You know, I've never seen anybody who was a, a faithful student of God's Word who had a real problem with this issue of anger. And you know why that is? If you're prone to get angry easily, ask yourself a question. Am I a student of God's Word? Do I regularly read the God, Word of God? You can't be somebody who would be angry like that if you're in God's Word. And you know why? Here's what the psalmist said. He said in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So a person who gets mad easily is somebody who's prone to sin frequently. And if you read God's word, you can't sin frequently. And so you're not going to be somebody who gets angered easily. Those things don't go together. Now, a person, as I said, one who sins that way, he sins frequently, gets angry. But James says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Well, I like those words, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. That doesn't sound like somebody with road rage, does it? You know, there's one of the things I need to confess to you. I don't think that I really have road rage. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't get so angry when I drive that, that I would run somebody off the road because they, because they did something. But I'm telling you, folks, I, I can get angry when I'm driving. I get irritated sometimes. And one of the things that really irritates me very bad is when you're driving down a four-lane highway and you got somebody holding the left lane. And you can't get around that person. That, that upsets me. You know, in this, uh, when you're driving down Interstate 5 and you're going to L.A., from Tracy to the Grapevine, you've got a two-lane highway. And you're driving down 5, and you've got some nitwit driving 55 miles an hour in the left lane, and there's 300 cars behind him. Well, that gets me angry. I get upset about that. I'll confess it to you. Now, if, if I was ever going to get close to killing somebody, that would be the time, because it makes me angry. But the Bible says we're not to be easily disturbed. Now, I I don't actually know about the law here in California, but I know that in Kentucky, it's illegal to drive in the left lane unless you're passing. So if you want to make me happy, drive on the right, pass on the left. Now, I don't have time to to talk about the other things about driving that make me angry, such as as deacons who ride motorcycles and go between traffic. I don't like that one either. (laughs) But, But don't be easily disturbed. You see, those things are not worth this getting mad about. Now, I'll tell you something else. Anger and flying off the handle is very bad for your testimony. If you get angry about things, I mean, if you get angry here at church and you you lash out at somebody, you stomp off, you get angry at your job, you get angry in a public place, you can be sure of this, that is what people remember about you. They're going to remember that. Now, we were talking about Peter on Sunday, and I told you then, if if Jesus had not reached down and picked up Malchus' ear and restored that ear, the only thing that Malchus ever would have thought about again was the fact that some Christian cut his ear off. That's that's the only thing he would think about. And when you get angry, people remember your your anger. Proverbs says, Proverbs 15, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 27, 3, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both. And what that means is that when you get angry, that thing sinks down into your soul. It's just like a rock. It holds you down and it poisons you. 
Now, your anger, that might give you a little bit of satisfaction for a moment. I mean, to vent a little bit and to let off some steam, you get some satisfaction for a moment, but what it does, it poisons you, it makes you disagreeable, and people don't want to be around you. So a testimony, it can be ruined by unrighteous anger. And I don't think it's hard for us to understand. We understand unrighteous anger, and and we're not to be involved with that. And so if you get angry for other reasons than I mentioned in point number one, then you can be sure you have an unrighteous anger. So be angry at sin. Be angry at sin in all of its forms. Let's stand up against that. But don't sin by being angry at the wrong things in the wrong way. Now, finally, tonight, we want to talk about unconfessed anger. Paul says in verse 26... Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. One of the things that people are confused about when it comes to anger is what do we do with it? Now, we're going to get angry. That happens to us. And and we're human. And uh, we're going to sin. We're going to get angry. What are we going to do with this anger? And how can we keep from sinning? There was an old um, Methodist evangelist by the name of Sam Jones. And he was talking about anger. And he said, I've seen a dog get angry. And he said, a dog will growl and he'll bark and he'll bite. He said, I've seen a horse get angry. A horse will, will buck and he'll whinny and he won't let a, let a person ride him. He said, I've seen a man get angry and he'll fight and he'll cuss and he'll be ornery. And he said, I've seen a woman get angry. And I didn't stay around to see what happened after that. But some people think, well, the thing that we need to do is we need to repress anger. Let's just let's hold it all in. But, you know, repressing anger is a dangerous thing to do as well. Repressing anger is just like, just like starting a fire in a waste paper basket and setting it in the closet, hoping that everything's going to be all right and it's going away. So you can't repress the anger. Leave it alone and it's going to be okay. Some people say, no, the thing to do is to express your anger. Let off the pressure. You'll feel better if you do that. But when you do that, there's people get hurt because of your anger. So the thing to do with anger is not to repress it and not to express it It's to confess it. Get it right with God. Anger is a sin that has to be confessed. So here's what you need to do. Make sure your anger is controlled. And you know it's possible for you to do that. Anybody here would testify that you get angry at your husband or your wife? Oh, yeah. We get angry at one another. You know, I had a a fellow who worked for me, and he told me, he said, I never get angry at my wife. We never have fights. And I knew right then, there is a guy, he follows his wife around like a puppy dog, and he does, she, he does everything that she says. Because we're all this way. When we don't get our way, we get angry. I mean, that's natural. We get angry about those things. But anger can be controlled. When I was studying this, I was reading about a pastor who, who uh, was having a fight with his wife. And, you know, they were getting loud. They were angry at one another. He was vociferously making his point, and so was she. They were going toe-to-toe. They were yelling at one another. They're screaming. They're going at it. The phone rings, and he says, Hello, this is the pastor. What did he do? He controlled his anger, and anger can be controlled. But the thing is about it here, about anger, is to control it before it gets out of hand. So you can turn off a violent temper. It's just a matter of exercising control. Now, I like the next statement that Paul makes. He says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So here's the second point about confessing anger. Make sure your conscience is clear. Now, the word for wrath 
in that statement is actually a much stronger word that's used in the first part of it where it says anger. I mean, this is, this is a stronger word than that. And what this means is, uh, is when anger is so exasperating that, you, that it gets roused up in you, you nourish that anger, and the only thing that you can think of is getting back at somebody, being vengeful towards someone. So you're going to get your due because you're angry. So you become bitter, you become vindictive, and you end up in revenge. Well, you're never supposed to get so angry that that anger controls you, and you're never to get to the place that you're so angry that you can't do anything but express it in a vengeful way. John Gill said it this way. He said, when the heat of the day is over, the heat of anger should be over likewise. I think I told you that once before that years ago, my wife and I made an agreement with one another that we would not go to bed angry, that we would resolve our differences before we went to sleep. And um, there are a lot of times that, that I went to work with red eyes because I've been up all night trying to resolve a conflict. But one time, not, not too very long ago, uh, I made the mistake of going to bed while we were still angry. I broke the covenant that we'd made. I was no longer angry, but my wife was still angry. So we got up the next morning. And, you know, they, the scientists talk about global warming. Well, this, this was the ice age all over again. Because, you know, my wife has a habit that when she gets angry, she talks and she does her talking, she does her talking, she talks and she talks and she talks, and then she stops. And then she doesn't talk. And she doesn't talk. And she doesn't talk. And she doesn't talk. Somebody said silence is golden. Let me tell you something. After so long a time, silence gets very, very irritating. And so she wouldn't talk to me. And the reason that she wouldn't is because I let the sun go down upon the wrath. I didn't solve the conflict before the sun went down and came back up again. And that's the whole problem. So this is Paul's warning. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, when you do, you've got the problem of verse 27. He says, neither give place to the devil. And so when anger becomes a bitter spirit in you, when it causes you to lose your control... That's when you've given the devil his best opportunity. He's got his hands on you then. And so what happens? You lose the ability to think rationally and act in a rational manner. Now, let me ask you something. What creatures do not act rationally and act by instinct? Animals. And so when you get angry and irrational about things, you're acting no better than an animal. People kill people in fits of rage. Is that a rational thing to do? Well, certainly not. Now, think about it. Anger can cause you to say hurtful things. It can cause you in the heat of argument with your husband and wife or with a friend to say things that you ought not to say. And those wounds can be very hard to heal heal sometimes. And they can go on for years and sometimes they're never healed. So it's no wonder that Paul says, get rid of anger in your life because it's a serious sin. It has long-lasting repercussions. And so that's why Christians ought not to get anger. Now, I'm trying to hurry to get finished. we just a couple more minutes. There's an author who wrote, he said, The moment I, ha- I harbor anger toward a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentment produces too many stress hormones in my body, and I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. My anger hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape its tyrannical grasp on my mind. When the waiter in a restaurant serves me porterhouse steak with french fries, crisp salad, and strawberry shortcake smothered with ice cream, it might as well be stale bread and water. 
My teeth chew the food and I swallow it, but my anger will not allow me to enjoy it. The man I am angry with may be many miles from my home, but more cruel than any slave driver. He whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. And that's what unresolved anger can do. Now, some of you, you may be carrying around anger towards a person that you've had for years. And I know people, brothers and sisters sometimes, that are angry at one another and they don't speak to one another. And it's been so long that they don't remember what they're angry about anymore. They just know they're supposed to be angry. That's the wrong kind of spirit. God wants us to give that up. It's not worth it because anger makes you a slave to that emotion. It controls you and it makes you bitter. So here's your last statement tonight. Recognize the sin and the slavery of your anger because that's what anger does. It makes you a slave to it. So it's all right to be angry at the right things, be angry at false doctrine, be angry at personal deceit, be angry at your own shortcomings, be angry against evil and unrighteousness. But if those aren't the things that are the source of the anger, then your anger is sinful. And if you let that anger fester and grow, I promise you, it will destroy you. So Paul says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we pray that this might have helped somebody. Help us to understand that we need to get rid of this sinful anger in our lives. If we are going to be angry, help us to be angry over the right things. And may we have a righteous anger to where we put all of our focus and attention upon you. And we support the work that we do and we're angry at false doctrine. Lord, we pray that you might bless in this invitation tonight. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.